In the Bible, starting already in the Garden of Eden, humans having communication with God is a bedrock part of reality. Almost from the beginning, that communication has taken the form of prayer. In the Reformed Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, we are told that the number one reason Christians need to pray is because the very act of praying shows how grateful we are to God for all His grace to us. Grateful people want to stay in regular contact with the one who gives us such gifts. Today on Groundwork, we begin a series on what may be the best known prayer in the world. It's the prayer Jesus taught us, and so we call it the Lord's Prayer. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, with this program, we're beginning a six-part series on the Lord's Prayer. Probably just about every Christian in the world knows this prayer, and a lot of people in their own native languages know the prayer by heart. Most of what is contained in the prayer is found in two different places in the Bible. I really appreciate us jumping into this one because when we did the series before on the entire Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. it feels like every single part can be going deeper. It, it's so right. much in there that it's hard to pack into a limited series. So I'm glad we're zeroing in on the Lord's Prayer this time. Yeah, because Matthew 6 uh, is part of the Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, really. The prayer is also taught in Luke 11. In Luke, Jesus gives out this prayer in answer to a request from the disciples, Lord, teach us how to pray. Matthew doesn't have that specific request, but instead Jesus embeds this Lord's Prayer into a larger teaching on prayer there in the Sermon on the Mount. But as we begin this series, let's go to Matthew 6 and just hear the prayer that, again, many of us know so well. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So we will be taking this prayer, kind of one petition, one set of petitions at a time in this six-part series. And for this first program, Daryl, we're going to deal just with that first line, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, Daryl, I think sometimes because this prayer is so well known, in fact, in German, the, the name of the prayer is Der Vater Unser, the Our Father. Yeah, we know. It starts with Our Father. And, and we kind of maybe slide past that word Father, and we don't realize how loaded that term is and how really kind of how radical it was that Jesus taught us to pray this way using that word Father. I think it's one of the first times that Jesus allows us to think of the Father as our God in an intimate and mm-hmm. informal way, because most of the time, if you're talking to your God or your deity, no matter what religion, there's a level where you realize, oh, we're just down here and he's way up here. And you, if you get to address God at all, then you have to address God in a certain way. Very formal, very regal. If he's a king, then you have to do this with a ton of respect. But this is the first time that Jesus allows the intimate familial language to introduce itself. And when we think of the Old Testament background for the Jews, for Israel, you know, when Moses encountered God at the burning bush in Exodus 3, Moses says, what's your name? And God answers, you know, I am. Four letters in Hebrew, yod heh vav or translated into English, Y-H-W-H. Older translations, some of us remember, rendered this Jehovah. 
more recently has uh, been re- translated Yahweh, or actually, Daryl, a lot of Bibles just have Lord in all capital letters yep. to distinguish it from the uh, ordinary Hebrew word for Lord. But what we need to remember here, Daryl, is that the Israelites never pronounced it. They were so afraid they would violate the commandment of taking God's name in vain that they figured the safest course was, don't say it at all. So when they would run across Y-H-W-H, yod heh in a text, they would just say the word Lord instead, just put in a different word altogether so they wouldn't risk taking the name in vain. So that's how much reverence they had for the name. They also called him the name, which is Hashemish. They also right. go by that because they want to make sure that they don't end up blaspheming because that's taking the Lord's name in vain as form of blasphemy. And because that formality was set in the Old Testament, that's the culture that they lived in. So when Jesus comes along and says, call him father, I'm pretty sure it shocked them. I'm pretty sure they were surprised to hear that. Yeah. And of course, Jesus from all eternity was the second person of the Trinity in our Trinitarian theology. He is the son of God. He has a relationship with the first person of the Trinity that is like a son relating to a father. All three persons in God, Jesus, uh, you know, father, son, and Holy Spirit, all three of them have an intimate relationship. But now what Jesus does in this prayer, Daryl, is he's taking the intimate relationship he has with his father and he's sharing that with all of us. I love that because throughout the Gospels, you often hear Jesus saying, my father, my father, my Mm -hmm. father. But it isn't until after the resurrection where he says, go to your father and my father, our father. But he gives him this prayer before he goes to the cross and says, this will be the new relationship once I reveal and I pay for the cost of your sins and I tear the veil. Now you have an intimate connection with our father. And none of the four Gospels talks more about Father, Son than John, the Gospel of John. We get it already starting in John 1. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father. He has made the Father known. So as Jesus was the Son of God and in the closest relationship with the Father, now he shares that relationship with us. His relationship with the Father is so close and so intimate that seeing him is the same as seeing the Father because he represented the Father and fully manifested his glory here, which is what John 1 said. And then picks up again in John 5 by saying, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the son loves the father and shows him all he does. And Philip says, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the father and that the father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say I am in the father and the father is in me. So that's John 14. And then the next chapter, John 15, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends 
For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. So, Daryl, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, uh, der Vater unser, the Our Father, let's not slide past that Father word too quickly because it packs a wallop of wonder and grace that we now are sons and daughters of this same Father. And so for that very reason, we are able to call God our Father at Jesus' invitation. He's adopted us into the family. Well, in just a moment, we'll move on to the next words, the words that this is a Father in heaven, but then also the words, hallowed be your name. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. I'm Scott Jose, and uh, Daryl, we're looking at the opening words of the Lord's Prayer in this first of six Groundwork programs on the Lord's Prayer. So we just thought about the wonderful and radical gift it is that Jesus now tells us to call no less than Almighty God our Father. But then let's just briefly also notice that he throws in the words, in heaven, our Father in heaven. And that's important, too. So if we think about this, God in physical form is not here with us. Mm -hmm. And so it's important that Jesus is reminding us of the fact that our father resides in heaven and in spiritual world. And he is above us and transcends all that we know. And if you look at a verse in Jeremiah 23, it says, Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do I not feel heaven and earth, declares the Lord. So he's talking about being in both places. And Jesus reminds us that he is in heaven. And in Acts 17, uh, we hear the apostles say, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he doesn't live in temples made by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So the heavenly dwelling of God reminds us that he is other and that he is the sovereign God yeah, we get to call him Father, but we still do so remembering how mighty and majestic this God who fills heaven and earth really is. But now, what is kind of the first petition of the whole prayer, hallowed be your name, a desire. We said earlier that in the Old Testament, a desire to keep God's name holy prevented the Israelites from ever pronouncing the name. They never even said it out loud. So they certainly respected the holiness of God's name. But what does it mean for us here, Daryl, to say in this first petition, hallowed or hallowed, I've often heard it pronounced for some reason, hallowed, hallowed be your name. 
So we all know that God's character is one of holiness. We see in Isaiah 6, we see in Revelation 4, where the angels cry, holy, 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 Mm -hmm. all day, all night, and the temple shakes and things of that nature. So the fact that God is holy and he's set apart, it goes back to what you were saying about his transcendence, about him being other. He's definitely in a class by himself. There's no one that compares. And when we used to pray where I come from, we would say that this is the matchless name of God. Mm -hmm. No one can match it. There's no one on this level. And we want to preserve that. I mean, we can't make God's name holy, obviously. It is holy. And we can't make it more holy. I mean, you can't get holy is holy. We can't make it more holy. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're not saying we're going to make your name holy. Rather, we're saying we're going to keep it holy. Right. We're going to keep it holy. And that that's really what's behind that commandment we thought about in the first part of this program about not taking God's name in vain from the Ten Commandments. You know, sometimes when we were younger and we would go out uh, into the world, our parents would say, you know, hey, remember, you, you're taking our good family name with you. Don't bring our family name down. Don't do anything that's going to dishonor our name, son, daughter, whoever. And that's what we do. We, we represent the holy name of God when we go out in the world, and we want to act and behave and speak in such a way that keeps the holiness of God intact in the eyes of others. Now, we did a series on Ezekiel way back here in Groundwork, and we talked about something in chapter 36, uh, because the people of God, they weren't exactly living the way that they were supposed to be living, but God took it personally that they Mm. weren't doing that. And in uh, chapter 36, it says, therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, the people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among all the nations, the name that you have profaned among them. So now it says that they dragged his name in the mud. Yep, not their own name. They didn't didn't make Israel's reputation bad. Oh, maybe that too. But the main thing God is concerned about is that they bore his name and they dragged his name through the mud. You made me look bad, God says. You you ruined my reputation of holiness. The Israelites forgot that they represented God, and unfortunately, sometimes we do too. And so the first petition of the Lord's prayer sets squarely before us every time we pray this prayer, remember who you represent in the world and make your Father in heaven look good. So just like Jesus does what the Father is telling him to do and what he sees his Father doing, the Lord is actually in this prayer reminding us that we represent the Lord and whatever we do in Matthew chapter 5, we're told that we're supposed to be the light of the world. It says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under the bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. So we see here and in Pauline's epistles that we're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ and that when we pray the prayer, we're reminded of who God is and how we're supposed to live. 
When I was a boy, our pastor often opened the worship service with the first verse of Psalm 115, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. So how we live out our Christian lives is not first of all about us. Uh, It's all about the God who we represent, the Savior Jesus Christ we represent, because a whole lot of what the world is going to think about our God, Daryl, depends on what they think of us and what they see in us. And, you know, again, we, we don't always do well. And, you know, you've heard this, I've heard this, probably most of us have heard this, and it stings. It stings because we know there's some truth to it. When you hear people say, you know, I like Jesus a lot. It's his followers I can't stand. It's like, well, we are going to reflect bad on Jesus, right? If the followers behave badly, they're going to think badly of the Jesus whose name we proclaim. So we go out into the world to keep God's name holy in all that we do. So our role is to be the ones who represent him in this world. So hopefully when they see us, they actually see a representation of the father's character. And Jesus actually prayed that we would be that sign in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, talking about the disciples, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have been given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity." Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So here, Jesus just keeps repeating the word in. Uh, you and me, I and you, us and them, uh, them and us. It's like inness or, or this inity. I'm going to make up a word, inity. The more we are in the Father, the more likely it is we're going to know the Father, and the more likely it is we're going to act like the Father and so preserve his holy name in all our living. So the enmity that you're talking about starts with Jesus helping us to realize it in prayer. This is a place where that can be birthed in us and in our character. And as we close this program, we want to look at a couple of examples of how this happened elsewhere in the New Testament. So stay tuned. There are many occurrences of walking in the Bible. Inspired by his three-week trek along the iconic Appalachian Trail, Reverend Kurt Sellis, the executive editor of the Today Daily Devotional, reflects on biblical scenes of walking and explores how walking in the Bible can mean more than just going from place to place. It can also mean following God's way as we live for Him in His world. Join Kurt and June for a series of devotions called Walking Through the Bible. Refresh, refocus, and renew at todaydevotional.com. I'm Scott Jose, along with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork in this first program of a six-part series on the Lord's Prayer. And Daryl, so far we've seen that Jesus introduced the idea of calling God our Father. And so not surprisingly, the apostles elsewhere in the New Testament pick up on that and run with it. Yeah, there are plenty of places in the New Testament where the words Father comes out again and again, like this one from Romans 8 that says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you've received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. 
And Paul sounds a similar theme in Galatians 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, and I would add daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God made you also an heir. So there, there we have it. This Abba father, Abba almost means daddy, even more intimate than just father. And we have been adopted into the divine family. So again, um, the radicalness of Jesus teaching us to address God as our father is brought out in these two passages by the Apostle Paul. It's also brought out in John's first epistle. He talks a lot about the relationship with the father as well. It says, see what great love the father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So it's really that purity language is leading back into the hallowed part, if you ask me. Yeah, exactly. Hallowed be your name is right there in that verse in 1 John. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So we want to not only call God our Father, we want to be like our Father, and that is holy as he is holy, pure as he is pure, so that we can imitate our father and our elder brother Jesus um, as well. That is what we carry with us in into all of life. So here's a good example, I think, Daryl, of the old adage, you know, whether or not prayer changes God, and you can have a long discussion on that, do we actually change God's mind when we pray for things? One thing we know for sure is captured in that old adage, prayer changes us. All right. The more we pray, the more we think God's thoughts after God. And, and the more we are, as we said earlier, the more we are in the Father and the more the Father is in us, the more likely it is that we will keep God's name holy as we go about our lives. I think, too, it's a way, Scott, that we can honor what he taught us in John 15 about being the vine and the branches. If he says, remain in me and I remain in you. Mm. And the prayer that we do when Jesus taught this prayer, if we whether we use our own model or whether we use this model right here in Scripture, it is a way of abiding and getting into the entity, if you will. That's what mm. you said before. The entity that helps us to come closer to who we are, then God's character can begin to change who we are and how we respond. And the more we are in the Father and in the Son, and the more the Father and the Son is in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, in, 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 again, uh, then the more we recover the image of God we were originally created in. We were created in the image of God, Genesis tells us. We didn't lose the image when we fell into sin, but it got bleared and smeared and distorted. It got blurry. But the more we gain conformity to Jesus now, who the author to Hebrews says, Jesus is the express image of God par excellence, yes. the more we conform to the image of Jesus, the more we recover that original image that was our intended goal in creation way back in the beginning in Genesis. So the closer we come to that 
image, the more we realize that we have things to work on, that we fall short every time. And that's why we are able to actually ask for forgiveness. But we're called to uh, set our minds on things above. We're called to put to death those things of the earthly nature. And then what happens as a byproduct of that is what Paul says in Colossians 3, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Very interesting uh, verse there in Colossians 3. It's in the imperative mood. It's a command, but it's in the third person, which seems weird, right? Commands are always given in the second person. Daryl, you do this. You sit down. You know, How can you have a command in the third person? But it is. That's the the form of the verb uh, Paul uses there. And it's his way, um, my colleague Jeff Wyman taught me once, it's Paul's way of being as emphatic as he can. Let that word of Christ, that message of Christ, dwell in you. It's like he's saying, "Mm, get it in you. Get that word in you. Because the deeper we get that word in us, the more likely it is that we will follow and we will fulfill that first petition of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. When we think about this prayer that Jesus has given us, it is supposed to rightly align us under the will of the Father. And in the next episode, we're going to talk about how his kingdom come, how his will will be done. Mm -hmm. But this prayer is setting us up so that we can acknowledge who God is and what he has done and align our character under his, borrowing from his ability to keep us holy. And if we live that way, then we will also honor his name. Jesus taught us to call God our Father and to hallow that name in all our living. We can't do that, but by the Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son, He can help us every day. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney. Join us next time as we study the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Connect with us at our website, groundworkonline.com. Share what Groundwork means to you. Make suggestions for future Groundwork programs. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dob Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.